Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast live. It is the 15th day of the month of February of 2023. I am thrilled to welcome a very special guest. So I'm going to bring in here and give him a countdown. Three, two, one. Mr. Matt Higgins. Welcome. Uh, to don't tell me. Oh, my God. I'm here. Don't tell me. Sarah, come on. He never wants to come on camera. Come on, cameo. Say hi. This, no one bites. Hi. hi. I've seen I've seen so much of you. I feel I feel that you and my wife. My wife is a uh, an incredibly amazing, powerful, strong commercial real estate attorney. I feel you and her would just like oh, just girl, crush it. Girl power in the house, right? So maybe maybe we'll we'll come crash the Hamptons this summer and uh, and come say hi. We don't yes. go to fancy places like that. Nice. Diner. Good, good, good to meet you. Diners are better. I, take me to a good turkey burger. I'm on a kick right now with this one turkey burger, Matt, at our diner. You ever find a gem at a diner? You're like that one dish. I went on CNBC yesterday and I was like, and then, uh, you know, my team is awesome. We're like, we really should do something to celebrate. What do we want to do? I was like, let's get some gravy fries. You know what I mean? Like, so I had gravy fries in the afternoon, very decadent, by the way. I was Ooh. not even drinking. It's so. usually like a three in the morning thing. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Matt is somebody that I've had the honor and pleasure to meet through my time over at VaynerMedia, working for Gary V, who Matt is the, uh, the 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 brilliance behind spotting such a talent as Gary V. And if you want to hear that story, you could go back to episode 113 from uh, November 2020. That's when we did that, Matt. I linked it up in the comments. You could check it out. I also have a nice little tidbit with Matt from uh, VCon back in May uh, in Minneapolis. You could check out that story. So we're not going to spend too much time on his backstory because his backstory is really in this book. And this book right here is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece of a masterclass wrapped in an autobiography. And here's my quick little take on this on this gem here. First and foremost, um, and once you read it, it'll, it'll make sense. Matt, I, I truly believe that you wrote this book for your mom who's reading this up above. Mm. That was my takeaway from this. When I turned that last page and put it down, I, I felt it. Mm. I was like, you wrote this for mom and she's proud of you and she's looking down and I want everyone to read this and listen back and, and say, Adam, you know what? I think you were, you were kind of right on that one. So Matt, I wanna thank you first and foremost for your time, your energy um, and being a mentor from afar and close. So I appreciate you and thank you for writing this book. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words about your mom. We can get into that now or we can get into that later. But. Well, we're going to pause that for, for, for okay. one second here, for one second. And this is not the book I read. This is not the version of the book I read. This is a version of the book that you're all going to get out there in the stores today. Buy it on Amazon. Or you can even listen to Matt's wonderful voice uh, on Audible. So anyway, you look at it, you're going to get the content. But Matt, this is the version that I read. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> this That's is the version that I read, people. 
And scientists right here. And there's a part in the book where Matt talks about putting in the time and the research. Because if you have someone of the caliber uh, and awesomeness of Matt, you want to put in the work and make it count here. So this is a version I read. It's amazing. With all, with all my it's notes. More than, that's more tabbing than I ever did at law school. This is and, and next time I see you in person, this is what I'd like you to sign for me. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. That's what I'd like you to sign for that me. Is, that is fantastic. I'll, I'll, send, I'll send it over to you. So yeah, let's get here. So we're going to do something pretty cool today. So I'm, I'm going to be giving away five copies uh, of Matt's book. I have the hard covers here. He was kind enough to sign them. Um, so at the end of the show, the last 10 minutes, we're going to spend on Q&A. So let's dig into this book here. And I'm going to be mad scientist about this one. So first and foremost, I got to ask you, why did you write this book? Um, I did. I, I, I back to what you just said when you started, there was part of that. My mother always felt like her life didn't matter. And for a long time, I always felt like sort of didn't. Right. She always say, I'm just going to die here in this chair and no one's going to care. And so that, that that's a hard thing to carry with you for your whole life. So that's part of it. But the, the, the overarching reason is that I don't, I do feel like, because I was forged in fire and raised by wolves, I would say that I was able to discern a certain pattern of the universe that I, I tapped into because of that crisis. And I like to make sense out of everything, everything there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So forged in fire, but the result is that I was had a, a clarity of decision-making that enabled me to compound my entire career by doing things a little bit earlier. And there is a formula. And so what I tried to do with this book is write these principles in a way, there's not a single new principle in this book, there's new packaging so that it re it resonates and registers. And I tried to, to package it in a way that would take hold so people would believe that I am no different nor exceptional. I just had gone down a certain journey that you can emulate, if I'm and, honest. And I think that's the beauty of it. So so I, I know your story personally, and we've gone through it a couple of times on the show here. But Matt really came from nothing. Single mom. She was, you know, incredibly ill. Um and and the piece that kind of stood out to me, and I know your story was, I, I didn't realize that, and you have so much vulnerability in the book, which I think it really shines through, but I didn't realize that last day of, of her life that you missed it, that you chose to do something else. I feel like there was a lot of re regret in that, and you were always trying to well, to, to right. build on that and, and, and make it up here. So, and, and you also talked about, which you know you share in the book, is, is your divorce, your, your, your first marriage. And that was so much vulnerability to share. What was that process like for you to put thoughts and emotions on paper? I want to talk about the process and what did you learn yeah. about yourself through the writing process? I mean, well, there. well, so I started from the premise that when that uh, to write a successful book and successful to me means means distribution of ideas and then assimilation of the ideas. That is the definition of success in writing this book is what's the point that to do that you I want to keep the reader at the center of the journey. That was number one. So how do I write a book that every sentence and every paragraph is meant to be in furtherest and service to the reader and to give a great ROI on that 20 bucks, right? Like sure do. second premise is nobody really gives a shit about my, my, my backstory more than necessary to convey a point. I certainly don't. If I'm being brutally honest, my autobiographical details are in there only insofar as to illustrate what I'm trying to say. So I really, I really tried hard, you know, so to, I'm answering your question. So when I put things in there, I was like, oh, I don't want to share that. And then I was like, but I'm sharing that because if if I tell somebody how I navigated in just one page, what I went through with the divorce, it, it, it has a chance to reach across to somebody who's alone in a hotel room and feeling pretty depressed. Yeah, it's it's heavy. I mean, but was that your purpose to go out there and really create an autobiography 
wrapped in with case studies and learnings or did it kind of just happen organically? I mean, because what you're doing here in this book, for everyone's going to pick it up here, it is your story. It is your autobiography with those life lessons. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, some of them are sequential uh, in, in the right time, place in your life and time, and some of them are not. Yeah. I mean, I would actually say I don't think it is my autobiography because that would be more like running with scissors or some other very shocking thing. Like this has been, believe it or not, this has been dramatically sanitized and airbrushed. Like there's a lot that I just didn't put in because I don't feel like that's the, uh, there's a point to that. What I tried to do, but it's relatable. Is, yeah. What I, right. I wanted to, I wanted to illustrate, you know what? I hate sunny Instagram posts where like failure is great or, you know, resiliency. And there's a sort of hero's journey everywhere now where you have some type of stumble and then you have redemption and everything's great. And now I'm going to distribute my wisdom when the reality is humans at every level, they are progressing and they're regressing and they're progressing and they're regressing. I wanted to illustrate through this book that that arc, right? I start the story. I had to rewrite my first paragraph for two reasons. One, my the book starts with my TV show, which, by the way, everyone has been canceled before it ever. Ended. Oh, I was going to get to that. Yeah, I'm so like, excited. Boom, like like gone. And so oh. I had to write the first paragraph to hedge that this thing may never air, which, by the way, I had no reason to believe it may never air. And the second thing, I, I created a $200 million you know, publicly traded entity to do a merger. I was like a big deal. I had double pneumonia in, in, during COVID and I lived and, and I mm -hmm. rang the bell at the stock exchange and, and then... that failed. And so I had to, which I love, by the way. So I was like, you know, talking to the editor, like, do we have to rewrite the book? I'm like, fuck mm -hmm. it. No, Let's no, this reality. The point of the book. And so my point to you is, I hope it's not an autobiography because then I do feel like I failed. What it is meant to be is bloodletting mm -hmm. publicly for the sake of proving these points. So that, that I have authority around grief and hardship and, and, and that's it. I mean, that comes through. I mean, you talk about your, your, your battle with, you know, parts of parts of depression, weight, weight gain, weight loss, um, insomnia, uh, <laughs> battling cancer. And, and I mean, even your outlook on cancer when you're getting chemo is, is incredible. So I want to, I want to jump into a couple of points, um, that I have here. Otherwise it'd be a waste of what I did here. So the first one, if you could elaborate, um, we go to page 71 here, quote, but no one else sees the opportunity. I need some buy-in first. And you write, this one kills me. I'll spend the rest of my days screaming from the rooftops. Opportunities are only opportunities until someone else sees them. At that point, there's no first mover advantage and little gain. If you wait to act until others validate your vision, it's far too late. Hot take on that point of the book that. here. One of my favorite parts of the entire book, because it's like, it's just true, right? Look how I did that, everyone. Look at that. I yeah, redline it while I'm reading it. Honestly, I you're going to be on Law Review. Like, I really believe in you <laughs> as a student. So hot, hot take real quick. You know, it actually makes sense, right? The magnitude of an opportunity, how incredible it is, how great it is, also corresponds to how early you are, right? Like if you started mining Bitcoin in 2012, you were mining Bitcoin in around $20, I think, right? Oh, God. And you now are living in the Cayman Islands trying to hide your money from the SEC and everything like that. Like you, you, are, you are in a different league. So, but when you have these early opportunities in any area, there isn't going to be validation. Right. Of course, it's logical. So my biggest regrets in life are the amount of energy I spent lobbying people to approve in me, believe in me when they had no reason to because they didn't have the same insight. And I that is the single greatest waste of your time. So oh. I know it's counterintuitive because we're always you know talking about consensus building like, yes, but. Do not build consensus when you're attacking an opportunity on the bleeding edge because your attempt to go ahead and get consensus is actually energy leakage that will destroy your planning. Mm. 
I love it. Real quick hot take on 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 coming to on on getting well first I want everyone so so Matt teaches this is the second year I think you've done it um at, fourth, at, year. at, at fourth year sorry at yeah. Harvard Business School and he goes yes. into the preparation and the work um it's absolutely incredible out there and and his story from from Fordham Queens College and how freaking it Harvard University um that first moment you stepped on the grounds as a as a adjunct prof- adjunct professor right yeah, what was what because I, I re, you read the stories in the book here and you read about the letter that you wrote and and part of me thinks it was a big fuck you to everybody else and part of it was just like like this is the top of 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 Mount Everest for you but what was that feeling inside the first moment you stepped in front of that classroom to teach your your class? I mean, amazing because uh, the partner in the class I have two now, uh, Lunch Lessinger and I yell at uh, Israeli who are amazing. But at first it was Lynch Lessinger. Len's like Babe Ruth, you know, <laughs> he's been like, he's been at, in and out of Harvard since I was like a zygote, you know what I mean? And so like being able to be partnered with him, it's like, man, this is so intimidating. But but back up my, my, my look, everyone says they start teaching because they want to give back. I love teaching. That's part of it. But it's also not the whole of it. The other part is I never got a chance to operate at the highest level of academia. There's a part of me that loves studies I, I'm out of my mind. I'm reading, thinking, constantly going deep. So to be at one of the greatest institutions in the world and actually do well there meant everything to me. And but the the and this is what's fun about the process. Anybody who's entering in a new environment, it's good sometimes to not have too much information as to what is the base case, what mm-hmm. is the expectation. Because my partner Len always says to me, "You were so naive about what a business school degree meant that only somebody naive would have put together Lollapalooza." you know, of, of in this class. And he always jokes, he's like, you channeled that anxiety to trying to be the best, whereas most people would just simply say, hey, my credentials are enough for me to be here. So the real answer is I've been up for days. And mm-hmm. I and then in the middle of the night, I'd wake my wife up like, Sarah, I think we can do better. <laughs> I would oh, like, and I would redo the PowerPoint or have an epiphany. And, 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 and if anybody out there has seen it, maybe you saw that picture of Kim Kardashian standing in front of the Harvard Business School. That's that's Kim Kardashian spoke on direct-to-consumer marketing, which Matt is a master of. And I think Kim did pretty well, right? Despite yeah, what you did, think we're Kim, from. Well, that's what I love. I love the haters about Kim. Yeah, I love the haters. Billionaire without, I love, what I was going to say, the hater without match with any intellectual curiosity. You can hate on Kim, but wouldn't you ask, why was she invited? Oh, she has a direct-to-consumer business called Skim oh, that I right. invested in, by the way, at a $3.2 billion valuation. And her CAC to LTV would blow your mind. So maybe, and yeah. maybe she's one of the greatest female entrepreneurs out there, but because you only know mm. her because of her packaging. I just, I love when, I love. It's so good. I, I love, I know. I went on CBC the other day and, and I was so dying for the question. And I have this shit eating grin. Like, it. Oh, here it comes. Because <laughs> I was like, I can't wait for the tweets to say, how dare you, you know, defile the university by having Kim. But she was amazing. Cool. And I'm going to rapid fire through this because I have a bunch Let's of things I want to get through go, here. Go, so you tap you know the, the whole part, thing. You know the part that I got to, to, to was um, with self-reliance, right? Like take advice from yourself, listen to yourself first. And that's something that I really took away at this stage of my life. I launched my second company this year, um, which was a gut intuition with my co-founder, Kevin. And that was built on stop listening to everybody else out there. And you know yourself better than you. So trust that. And don't solicit so many opinions because then it just becomes too many cooks in the kitchen. Hot take on... Okay, I, I can't say this. Is it Greek? Nete, Quasivirius? Actually, I'm not an attorney. My wife would kill me on that one. No, you guys learned you that in law school. Yeah, so there's a so real quick, everybody listening, if you haven't read this, I think it's Latin, it's, sorry. Right, one of the, it is Latin. One of the greatest pieces of writings out there is uh, is an essay by uh, Emerson called Self Reliance. Just read it. 
It don't take you long. I think it's one of the single greatest pieces of writing, and you could, it'll feed your soul. But putting that off, uh, you know, off to the side, we we are conditioned to go ahead and believe that we don't have the answers. It's always our starting point. So we reflexively go to Barnes and Noble, buy my book, or watch a TED talk, you know, or consult someone. And I don't know why we bypass the part of a process where it's about auditing what do we have to bring to the table. So my book is an attempt to celebrate the self without rejecting the need to have partnerships and alignments, but first begin by celebrating the self. I mean, there's so many other core strengths here. I mean, self-awareness is, is something that, like I had my self-awareness epiphany. You know my story. Bef- before yeah. I got fired, I got fired. Gary fired me. He did. And I'm that's still pissed my- about that, by the way. You and well, I are going to have to. Well, right. a, I know this, we're over it, but you this know. Chip, this chip, this chip, well, honestly, and I'm going to have this conversation with him soon. It was a chip on my shoulder for a long time. And now it's turned in, and it was like, let me prove him wrong by how good I can be, my potential. And now it's turned into, it's kind of like a big brother kind of thing where I want him to be proud. Like, hey, look what I'm doing. And he sees it. So I'm in, in Miami in, in December. Like, he he knows it and he sees it. So that, that dynamic has changed a lot there too. But that's when I had my self-awareness epiphany. And I think self-awareness, Gary talks about it, you talk about it. It's almost self-aware to be self-aware that that is the, this country, this world, we're lacking it. We're lacking self-awareness. If more people just took a moment to look in the mirror and say, listen, there are things I'm great at. There's things I suck at and the things I'm great at, maybe I should just double down on them and see what happens. That's what I did. That's what I preach. That's my squawk box, soapbox, whatever you want to call it here. But that, along with tenacity, which is my other tenant, resonates in me and resonates in your book. When I say that word tenacity to you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, and you can talk about self-awareness too. Yeah, well, let's talk about a little bit about self-awareness, why I think self-awareness is the greatest arbitrage and unlock <laughs> in, in business and personal life. It's because it's entirely within your control, right? Like a lot of the things that we talk about, uh, you can't necessarily control. In some some cases, you can't really cultivate, but you can cultivate self-awareness. And the reason why it's, it's, it's not at a premium in society is because in the last... 10 years has been a devaluing of the truth in civic discourse, right? Ah, mm-hmm. Just, you know what? Say things over and over again. Make it, make it. it doesn't matter. You got to speak with confidence. Okay. Well, that may work with manipulation of the masses, but it doesn't work with manipulate manipulating the one mass you care about, which is you, right? So if you embrace a culture of, of, of lack of truth and transparency, you're never going to be able to unlock your full potential because you can't see what's wrong with you. And so like, it's just obvious. And, and because business, we don't, you know, we don't always like to talk about the, you know, what we call psychobabble. Like we tend to overlook these basic concepts, which actually unlock tons of value. And so to make a, anybody out there who's investing, let me make my a very specific point, right? Would you want to back leaders who over-index on self-awareness because they make their own interventions? If you are constantly have to intercede when somebody's screwing up at a company as a leader, think about how much energy. Hey, Bob, just want to maybe talk to you about how your team sucks and uh, your product is being rejected while your Amazon reviews suck. Like, wouldn't it be better if Bob's like, you know, Matt, I think my team needs to be upgraded and my Amazon reviews really suck. I might not have product market fit. That person is, is engineering their own intervention and it's a lot more efficient. Self-awareness scales better in people. And, and you kind of layer this in throughout the book. And one part that stuck out to me too, is how you evaluate founders. I mean, you get pitched, you know, thousands of times a week, I, I imagine, but how you evaluate founders and co-founders in their relationship and, and the body language and pattern recognition. I mean, this guy's, I'm not even shitting you. This is a master class. These 280 pages are a master class. Talk By the to way, us can little- we, can we, can I just say thank you? Because it's like, it's not like a, a random throwaway line. Like you telling that to me, like reaches deep into my soul. So thank you. It's not like, Hey, it's a master class. Well, fuck. Yeah. Thanks. It was. <laughs> like, uh, thank you. It's, it's real here. Talk to us a little bit about your friend Lauren's book and the importance of it. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, Lauren. Well, so, you know, I wanted to make sure this book didn't end up being a celebration of, you know, pure capitalism and money making. A lot of the case studies, it is a business book or about business, but I want to include. You're a capitalist. Well, I am an unapologetic capitalist and on TV. We're here to make money. Capitalism and good. And unapologetically on Team USA. But um, Lauren's example was of somebody who went through trauma. She was a sexual abuse survivor. And um, she went through a journey of like, wow, how do you process that? How do you how do you make something positive come out of that situation? And she channeled that to do like heroic, extraordinary things, built a, a not for profit that's publicly bringing this issue out of the darkness so that she she does these walks for hundreds of miles and kids will come up to her and be like, I was I was afraid to tell. And she wrote a book. It's OK to tell that kids can come forward. And then she says, well, that's not enough. I'm actually going to go. I'm going to now play offense. I'm going to go join the legislature and I'm going to implement laws. Make change. Right? So on the on the one hand, she devoted her life to ameliorating suffering and healing. And on the other, she's like, and now I get retribution. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's pretty amazing. So what I want to model, okay, money making, don't, 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 don't create a cult of worship of the dollar around you. Recognize that there are higher powers. And I think what Lauren is doing is way more important than what I'm doing. And so I want to showcase some people like that who are doing great things without outside of money. Love it. Hey there, fellow podcast listeners. I'm Kevin Logan Jr., host of the Immutable Mindset Podcast. If you're fascinated by Web3, blockchain, and disruptive technology, then you won't want to miss a show. Join me and co-host Adam Posner as we introduce you to an incredible lineup of successful entrepreneurs, builders, and industry veterans who share their insider knowledge, unique perspectives, and personal stories that will leave you inspired and craving more. Like Mike Isogawa, the CEO of Webacy, who shares her journey from being a Cirque du Soleil performer to a cybersecurity pioneer. Or Dave Schwed, COO of Halborn, who discusses the future of digital asset security and how the future of assets will be tokenized. We also break down complex topics into digestible bits, perfect for both experts and newcomers to the world of Web3. So if you're ready to stay ahead of the curve, subscribe to the Immutable Mindset Podcast now, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This yep. what stood out to me. So any, anyone, you're going to dig into Matt's backstory. He was Giuliani's press secretary at 9-11. Uh, he was down, down there for a long, long time. He saw shit that nobody should have to see. He... I, I, I can't even imagine that. I was stuck up in Buffalo. I'll tell that story another time. And, and I couldn't come back to New York. I was in college at the time. And I come back to New York. We we're just watching it on TV. Uh, Matt was also instrumental in leading the rebuilding effort. Well, the, the the memorial effort. That's a fantastic story in here and all those learnings here. But the chapter that stood out to me here is embracing each crisis. Talk to us a little bit about the learning opportunities that come out of, of a crisis. Because in the moment, you're not thinking about, wow, this is literally the worst moment of civilization in my life. But guess what? I'm going to fucking learn something awesome here. I mean, a big a big sub theme of the book is to to recognize, which we all do intuitively, the clarity of decision making you have when you're in a crisis. Right? We all can go back. Actually, when a cri- when we survive a crisis, we have a degree of pride because we're like, "Damn, I got through that. That was really hard." And then you start to dissecting your decisions, and you realize you acted with conv- conviction and decisiveness because it was the only way to survive through the situation. Right? My point is, we can replicate we can replicate that decision making in peacetime by being able to identify how do I make better decisions when I'm in a crisis? And two, I do think this is, this may sound Pollyannish. We have a choice about how to leverage every bad situation. Everything in the universe has an equal and opposite reaction, basic rule of physics, right? The same applies to a crisis. When something bad happens, another window opens up. Butterfly effect. Think about my mother. The worst situation of my life, the biggest failure of my life is that I could not save her. I got a hundred thousand dollar an hour day, a hundred thousand dollar year job. And she dies two hours later that day. Um, that like, story is getting that day. And that I would say, plead of me, don't go to work. I'm like, we have no money. 
Like, and so, but here's my point. By virtue of witnessing that, I watched the path of my mother get a GED, which she she pulled forward my entire professional career, two years by being born in that situation and giving me the model of a woman trying to fight for her dignity. So two years. By virtue of doing that, I was able to achieve success earlier, which is the only reason why people are listening to me now. It's like, wow, you're on Shark Tank, right? By virtue of doing that, now I'm with Sarah, my wife, and I'm meeting with Pope Francis at the Vatican. And we're talking about helping refugees and migrants. So my point is, you, we can choose to see my origin story as a disaster and a catastrophe, or we could choose, we could choose to see it as my training ground. I love it. Yeah. It's so funny, too. I remember right after VCon, that's when you went to Italy and we were texting. And you're like, hey, I just yeah. met the Pope. I'm like, that's fucking cool. Um, yeah. I, t- quick time <laughs> I love, check. I love the sentence. I was with the Pope. That's fucking cool. Yeah. Like, a quick time check. How, how long could you run? Because I have a couple more things. I'm good. Before. I'm fine. Okay. I'm enjoying it. So this is, this, is, this is a great one for me. So this is a fun story, too. So when I was working at Vayner, and I really never talked about this either. When I was working at Vayner, that was in the early days when they were at the old office on Park Avenue. And I came over to Hudson Yards, and I think I actually met you. I was in a meeting with you. Gary and 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 you're and the co-founder. Well, Stephen Ross. Anybody who's heard of the, the the Miami Dolphins heard of Stephen Ross. He's literally built New York City up. Uh, absolutely incredible. There. He, don't play small. That's one. Let, right, let's unpack that for a second. Here. Don't play small. And that's what Kevin, who's watching right now, Kevin and I are doing. We're building our new company, our Web three recruiting company. We're taking some big fucking swings. This is my chance. I'm turning 44 in two weeks. I'm going for it. This is it. And this book came at the right time for me at a time when i started the year yeah well and by the way i thought asia was going to uh sue me for that but no i love that song i was like oh it's so good it's i get flagged on youtube too so i have to edit it out before i repost not if we sing badly um what is what is let's let's elaborate on that uh, don't okay. play small. Talk about that lesson from Stephen. All right. So my partner, my partner, Stephen Ross, is a huge, legend. Huge, huge developer, legend, but he's also an incredible entrepreneur. You ever have somebody in your life who like, they say things to you when you first reject them, like, what do you know? And then you're like, oh, that, that's going to leave a mark. And so one of the couple of big things he's always told me, you know, gentle nudging of like, one, um, the less you bet, the more you lose when you win. I love that statement. I read it five times, Matt. I needed it's to read so, it five times. It's, if you, it's the so, less you bet, the more you're going to lose. Not make right, which makes sense. And I didn't understand it at first. And I realized, like, as time goes by, winners are really hard to come by. But and so, number one, he always says, "Bet on yourself first. He's like, "I'd bet on myself any day. I have more information." I was like, "That's kind of brilliant." But two, when you have a winner in your hands and you see it. The biggest regrets you're going to have is that you didn't double, triple down. And what the reason why we don't is because we don't trust our instincts. Even when I, I've, I've gone through this, I'm like, I have a couple, even now, I have a couple of great companies and I'm like, I really think this could be like a billion dollar thing. I want to go all in, but I keep waiting for a little bit of data. A evidence. More, I, I, more. I partly wrote this book so I could read it. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, even like, uh, you know, I, and so the point is, the less you bet, the more you lose when you win is a testament to how hard it is to find winners in life. And so when you got it, you have to be willing to press them because it, you, when, when you dilute and you know spray and pray, it never works out. But that also ties into the title of the book and what it means to, to, to burn the boats. And yeah. let's take a quick moment there. And I'm sure you said this on every other show there. What does burn – this is a good halftime uh, or three-quarter time. What does burn the boats mean for anyone out there? Let's have a yeah. quick hot take on that. All right, quick hot take. So the phrase obviously goes back to the beginning of recorded history. I'm fascinated by the fact that no matter what culture, no matter what century, no matter what language, there is a fable of a military general who is outnumbered 10 to 1, about to die. Everyone was going to die too. And the way they overcame impossible odds was to eliminate 
their escape route and eliminate their provisions, right? So I was like, why do military strategists know this? But we reject this idea. Like, well, I got to pay the rent. And so I was like, let me apply it. The boats I'm using in this context are not so much about escape. They're about the things in your life that cause you to equivocate, to pause, to hedge. And so it's a metaphor first for internal and then for external. The internal things like imposter syndrome and fear and spousal judgment or parental judgment and external corporate saboteurs, they all collectively add up to erode your, your, you know, your plan A. But this book, because this is the other thing I get, well, this is not for me. I'm risk adverse. I was like, no, no, it was written for you. People who are not risk adverse don't need to read my book. They're like, shut up, Matt. I got it. I don't need to burn no bow. I do it in, really intuitively. No, this book is for people. And that's why I surface a little bit about anxiety and my lack of sleep and whatnot. This is book is for people who want to commit, but they need a little bit of help and they need to be convinced that by committing, the world's not going to fall apart. And let me give you a construct to synthesize risk at the beginning of your journey so that you can you can fearlessly move forward because you know you already contemplated what's the worst that's going to happen. And it's not that big of a deal. You know what Claude Silver says, who quotes somebody else, we've all survived 100% of our bad days. Isn't it amazing? And like when you, when you, you Claude. I know Claude, shout out for you, Claude. She works at VaynerMedia, chief heart officer. Claude's She's my oracle. She's my no, but, oracle. But I, I did. I used to do this for a simple exercise for anybody out there who finds that they have debilitating anxiety. Do the simple thing. In a given week, just write down every day the, the things that you're anticipating that could go wrong that are going to undermine your life or whatever. And then at the end of the week, write down all the ones that actually materialize. And what you find is you've created a prison of your own making. <sighs> These things don't materialize. I don't know why the universe did this to us. I think it has to do with fight or flight or the amygdala. Mm. But reality is the things we anticipate do not materialize most of them. So the last point I'm going to talk about here, because it's it's so timely, um, and then we're going to open up the floor to questions here. Um, and this is super relevant. So I have a gentleman on my on my team. He started as a director of operations and recruiting, Kevin Logan Jr. Uh, we Look launched. Kevin is my resident DGen. He brought me into the world of Web3 along with a couple of other my good friends, Dave Schwed, Chris Adamo. And you, um, thank, and you thank him for this? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Because, because, let me go to burn the boats. And I think about this all the time. NHP is my Web2 recruiting company. It's doing okay, but our Web3 company is taking off. So is there going to be a burn the boats moment where I need to put all my focus into the Web3? Or maybe burn the boats and bring it into one company? Who knows? But this is what stood out to me. I've been, up until I got into recruiting, I was a B, sometimes C player. I'm very honest about that. I had my train tonight in, but you say this right here. I like to say that B players hire C players in order to make themselves seem like A players. But if a B player hires an A player, then you're really not a B player anymore. They're an A player too. You will never be outshined by great people fighting for you. Brilliance is not zero sum. That, like, I was like, fuck, yeah. I finally am an A player because I partnered with Kevin. I partnered with Kevin and we're doing cool shit and we're You're building a stuff. You're an A player, man. Thank All right, Adam. You are Thank an A player, you. by the way, because you got Thank a big you. heart and you like you you celebrate people's wins. So you are an A player. You were born an A player. But anyway. So let's talk about this one for a yes. moment here. I'm, so- I'm bringing Real quick, I, I just trying to synthesize. We all know, we all can recognize the truth of that, right? So the, the the it's that insecure leader who is trying to prop themselves up by making sure nobody outshines them, and those are the worst people to work for. And I think that if you, by definition, have the capacity to both identify and unleash talent, right, and that talent is still willing to work for you. Right. Because that means by definition, you're not mediocre. Talented people usually will not submit to authority from people who are by definition mediocre. They they will. The oppressed will find an ear exactly. and they will leave. So if you have people that you have surrounded yourself with a great team that you legitimately feel are better than you and they're still fighting for you, like like Gary Vaynerchuk, like 
I'm in awe of Gary. I'm in awe of my, my infinite capacity to under, underestimate that man. <laughs> like no matter what. I've been studying him for nine years, yeah. 10 so years. Is, and Gary yesterday with my book coming out, like releases it on every platform, pushes it because we love each other, right? So like I'm submitting to the greatness of Gary and yeah, that doesn't make me a, a mediocre player because he's better than me in, in all these other areas. It's because we are releasing, release, we are uh, we are submitting, and we are unleashing each other in our relationship. So Love it. that's why I put that in. So I want to be conscious of time, but the other things I would have taken about, talked about if I had time here, consolidate the gains. I want everyone to dig into that piece there. Yeah. Uh, take the first step. Every move makes the next move easier. Shining a light on others. That's something that I do. Let's talk about two, just two seconds on consolidate yeah. gains, why it's in there is because- So important. Yeah, when you read my, when you read this book right now so one of the one of the consequences of living a life of perpetual growth right which i do believe is where the joy comes from is that you begin to accumulate disparate experiences mm -hmm. right and so you if you every time you do something new and you like you know you get bored of it because you want to chase the new the shiny object you'll look back and begin you won't respect yourself but people around you won't respect you either because it means you never finish and so steve ross would also say to me all the time don't be a grasshopper and so Consolidate your gains is in there to articulate how you need to, you know, figure out how to scale yourself. Make sure that what you're doing is 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 adequate, if not superior, effort before you move on to the next thing, right? And, and there comes a point, by the way, when you start taking on too much water, and it's time to shed shed those things that no longer resonate. And we shouldn't be afraid. Of, you're going to shut down this podcast one day, whatever that, whatever boat you're going to burn at some point, right? And that's okay. That's not being a grasshopper. That's being disciplined. It's so it's so good here. And the power, that's the power of burning the boats. I have right here, the power of burning the boats. Some other really great points I have here. Um, check out page 210 and 218. You'll be surprised there. Um, job pivots in this day and age, you talk about, I mean, you literally back and forth, City Hall, uh, the story about going to the, the law firm, turning down other opportunities, going there for a little bit. It wasn't about the money. It was about following your passion and following your heart. And the last thing I have here is you truly do shine a light on others in this book and it reflects back on you. So oh, Matt Higgins, thank, you. I thank yeah. you for this book. I want to thank you for writing it. And we're going to open up the floor to a couple of questions here. Great. And we're going to go up top to uh, Elisa. What's happening? Your question. Kola. First time, long time. Well, this is okay. so fun. By the way, I wasn't, I didn't even see the little comment button. I want to read everybody's comments while you're asking me the question. Well, we're going to go through it right here. Right. Matt, what is your favorite hack from, from uh, moving from dis, uh, discouragement and the inclination to quit staying committed to your inner wisdom and decisions? Great question. One more time. What is my favorite? That's so, right. you, can, can you see it right there on the screen? Where, where I, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I make it easy for you. Come yeah, on. Um, and the inclination to quit to staying committed to your inner wisdom. Oh, I love that question. I mean, I, 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 it happens to me all the time, even with this book. Like the day before the book came out, I was like, this is ridiculous and audacious. And what am I doing? And I've like been up for days. Like, I don't want to represent that I don't get victimized by my plan B. I don't know what plan B would be when you already wrote a book, but maybe not promoting it. But so my favorite hack for moving from discouragement and the inclination to quit is honestly meditating on the why. Unfortunately, if the whys that you have in your life are compelling enough and there is a broader purpose, that anchors me when I'm when I'm when I'm going from discouragement. So my why with my book is to redistribute this wisdom and ideally hold up a mirror to your inner core. Right. I, I want my book to be confirmatory. Like I thought that was true. Right. I thought I fucking had the ability to do that or that person was under, you know, like, so that's my why. So I think everyone has a really strong why. And, and sometimes you need to stop doing and you need to start reflecting to strengthen your resolve. This is a daily process for me.
I need so to do more I of that. Wanna, I, I, I make one last point in response to this question. I asterisk the crap out of my book because it's aspirational half the time. I partly wrote it so I would read it because I don't. I, I think I have a lot of insight, but it doesn't mean I can always implement. So I'm with you on this journey of trying to implement what you read. I love it, Elisa. That's a great question here. Moving on to thank uh, you, Elisa. Yelena Mogalevsky, a very, I'll be honest, a very dear and good friend of my wife. And she's actually my wife's best friend, uh, one of the most amazing, thoughtful, great friends. So, Yelena, um, Matt, thank you for sharing your story. I'm an adjunct professor at FIT and I love to teach as well. Can you share how you turn the classroom or get your students to be more engaged inside of the classroom? Such a Besides to bring in Kim K and 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 the the um, uh, Christine from 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 Milk, which we'll have yeah. a side conversation. Yeah, uh, Yelena. I hope I'm saying it right. Yelena. Yelena. Um, thank you for the question. Uh, I think I think for me, and uh, it, it really boils down to um, contemporary. I find that the students at school, right, are really just trying to figure out the answers to the to the to the test. Like, what's what's life really like? What really happens in these businesses? So I'm always keeping an eye on trying to pull forward information into the classroom that they really couldn't get um, in another context at HBS, right? With my partners, I'm always trying to figure out like, the, I want to make sure the brands are fresh. It's the things that they're encountering, you know, on TikTok, and maybe not the case study from 15 years ago on the gap, you know, so that's at least my context is always keeping everything fresh and contemporary. Any other questions out there? I thought we'd have a, a few more questions. We got another couple of minutes um, with, with, with with Matt here. Um, Matt, let me, well, let me, let me ask you a, a question here. Um, the book sales like matter? Like, how does that feel to you? Are you, are you, are you, I mean, we're not talking about the, the money. I mean, yes, it's, it's nice, but the book business is a tough one. What is that key success metric for you with this book? Oh, that's a great question. They a hundred percent matter because if they don't, the book doesn't sell, the information doesn't get disseminated. So disseminated and it doesn't get assimilated. So why did I write it? I didn't write this book so I could have the credential. Truly. When people say they wrote a book so they could get like higher speaker fees, I'm like, what a sad life. I've heard this before as advice, but to judge (laughs) like that sounds really bad. No book sales are definitely the goal because by book sales, one, uh, I've disseminated two reviews matter because reviews tell people one that it worked right. That like that I wrote it the right way. What you just did with that is very fulfilling to me, but also reviews tell other people they should read the book. Therefore it gets disseminated. And then lastly, you get accolades. The accolades are irrelevant. They're only a proxy for how many book sales were sold, but they make other people build the book, buy the book, and therefore it gets disseminated and assimilated. So book sales really matter. Please buy my book. Or listen to it. It doesn't matter. The money I'm burning faster than the boats. Like I'm burning the money so fast, but I, but I, I truly, honestly, I would love to just give it away. I, I, don't, I truly don't care, but it's a proxy. People don't value things that are free. So unfortunately you have to buy it. So everyone out there, I mean, my, my first taste into this concept of burn the boats or what I like to call no plan B came from the, the famous Arnold Schwarzenegger speech, which everyone go on YouTube yes. and check that one out. And yes. and, and when yes. I decided to, my, my story, when I decided I worked 15 years in advertising and marketing, got let go from VaynerMedia and I was like, shit, I looked inside. I don't enjoy doing this anymore. There's things I'm not good at. I need to make a change. And when I went all in on recruiting, I remember somebody sent me the Schwarzenegger video and I was like, I'm going to do this. And, and and it doesn't mean manage your downside. Like your doesn't mean to, to like, right, not exactly. sure. that's not, not what it means. Right. But, but what it really means is I went all in on recruiting and I did everything I need to do. I did my due diligence. I did everything I need to do to learn as much as I can about recruiting before I stepped into it. And I burned the boat on my previous career. And that really resonated with me. Here we go. Another question right here. Here we go. Uh, from Nick, I know self-reliance by Emerson is something that you reread over and over. What are some of the others that you reread? Um, I'll just question. I'll highlight, I'll highlight one in particular. Um, there's a the book that I read over and over again. I'm a 
uh, I'm, a, I'm an aspiring Buddhist, which by definition doesn't make sense because all you have to do is just be present and you're, you embrace. But there's a book called Buddhism, Plain and Simple. It's just one of those things in my life. When I read it, it brings me right back to the present and it feels like absolute truth. It feels like I have, you know, been to the afterlife and found what it's all about. So I read this book about Buddhism, Plain and Simple. What are you, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? Good question. I'm reading a book about Chernobyl. You read uh, on your phone? Uh, I am. I read it on my phone. I fall asleep after about 10 seconds. Every, you know, when I do read it, my wife is like very learned. She She's reads smart. everything. She's a very smart lady. I, I'm and incredible with power tools if you follow his Instagram. Incredible. She just, this whole book is really about <laughs> celebrating Sarah, but it's called Midnight in Chernobyl. So I, ha I like anything slightly dystopian, historical. Um, so that's what I'm reading. What is Matt Higgins watching on TV right now? Higgins Picks. I don't really watch TV. Do you look down on people when you see all these gurus out there? They're like, you should be your downtime. TV is the devil. You shouldn't be watching. Like for me and my wife, my wife and I, like we work our asses off. And that time, by the time we put our daughter to bed, by the time it's 10, 15 at night, we just want to watch an episode of, of New Jersey Housewives, right? Like real house. Like for, that's our, our, our release. No, that's great. I mean, I own, I want you to do that because I have a production studio I created. I want to, I want to basically sell you TV, but I just don't consume it because it doesn't bring me joy. And, but uh, that's not a judgment. It just doesn't, it doesn't resonate. But I spend lots of my time geeking out on the internet, which is probably just as useless. Uh, I would say otherwise. Um, quick question on, on Web3. What's exciting you in the Web3 space? Um, I, Besides I, be friends. Yeah, I, I like, I, I, that's why I'm surprised that you, you know, thank your friend for introducing you to Web3. I go to Gary. Thanks a lot. <laughs> like, God, I managed to, I was in, you know, Anchor and Luna and all these good stuff. But I am, um, no, I love, I love Web3. I have a metaverse fund with Gary Vaynerchuk and AJ and Phil Toronto that is largely uh, below the radar and Josh on our team. Uh, but we, we've made some fun investments. I like anything infrastructure related and something that isn't dependent upon like a fad, you know what I mean? Or an emotional connection. So I'll give you, I'll give you two examples. One, I've gone deep into the ENS rabbit hole. Which is just you know, look 30, at his Twitter handle. Yeah, but thirty seconds on that for anyone knows Amazon wouldn't be Amazon Whoa. without the word Amazon. It would be a collection of digits, right? So nineteen, you know, in the nineteen nineties, we developed this uh, domain system DNS, right? So ENS was created in twenty seventeen to take the forty hexadecimal characters on your wallet and turn it into human readable language. Mm -hmm. So I, it just makes sense if if Web three scales, DeFi scales. Wallets will scale. Wallets need um, language to be able to communicate. And I love the fact that no one's in charge, so there's no rug pull. It's just, it's just ENS. It's like GoDaddy for 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 Web three, right? So I own a bunch of fun names, and I just enjoy the community, and I enjoy that. And then the second thing is, uh, uh, on an infrastructure standpoint, there's a company we just invested in called End Labs. So if if anyone out there knows about factoring, where you're a company and you have an invoice and you want to monetize it, there's people you can go to and you can get prepaid. And you'll pay an interest, you know, you'll, you'll forfeit some of that, right, in order to get paid today. But that doesn't apply to all the gig workers out there in the world who, mm. you know, who could use that money. They have to go get payday loans at, you know, incredible interest rates. There's a company called N-Labs that's using the blockchain to basically create a way for somebody who's working at Coca-Cola, a truck driver, or somebody who's working at DoorDash to be able to get use the blockchain because the invoice is recorded and verified, get paid today, right? And there's a coin on the other side. That is providing a return, stable return, you know, and they'll they'll do all the regulatory issues. But that couldn't really exist without a DeFi world. So I love DeFi. I love the hate being leveled at the entire space. It's like hilarious. It's just because some charlatan named Sam came along and ripped off, you know, VCs and everybody else, like that's called fraud. 
right? Allegedly. Um, but that doesn't, it's not, it's not an indictment on the entire space. So I believe DeFi is here to stay uh, as for web, th- in terms of web three and NFTs, the token gating, POAP is really interesting, mm-hmm. right? The use cases that I know will materialize. I know celebrities will be using subdomains on ENS one day to create fan clubs and to allow you know access to events. So if you know a few use cases that you know are materialized, then you know there are tons more that you can't even conceive that are going to happen. I, I love it. So if someone only has the ability, just a crazy question here, last question, Rep. If someone only has the time, which is insane, to read one chapter of this book, what chapter should they read? That's, that's such a good question. Um, uh, because they're would, too busy watching Real Housewives in New Jersey. In broadcasting, probably, we call this killing time for the guests to think of their answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I would say, trusting your instincts—the parts devoted to trusting your instincts. I think the the reaffirmation of your of the self is really important, and it's the one thing we have the hardest thing doing. It's the self is the thing that's taken the most incoming, right? And it's the one that degrades over time. So I think rebuilding the self by focusing on the instincts is important. Matt Higgins, I want to thank you so much for your for your time your energy, uh, your humility. I want everyone to go out there and pick up Burn the Boats. You can find it at Amazon, uh, Audible, anywhere where great books are are sold. I promise you this one is is worth it. Um, and I said this when I started the show. Ron Craig, before I get up, Ron Craig jumping on. Ron, any last questions before I wrap it up? 10, 9, 8, 7. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. Ron's a big fan. He's listening Ron. to your book right now. You're on the clock, Ron. You're on the clock. You're on the clock. Um, I don't have anything to say. Yeah, I think Ron's just saying hello here. But I, if if you if Ron, if you have a question afterwards, I could send it to Matt. I'll 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 shoot it over to him after we're talking about how was the fucking Pope. Um, that's where commas are important, by the way. Side note, it's my bad joke of the day. Um, <laughs> Matt's also an incredible writer, by the way. Uh, everyone out there, I want you to please check out "Burn the Boats." This is incredible, Matt. I said this before. Mom is proud of you. This is this is it. This is it, folks. Thank Matt you. Higgins, everybody. Ron, Ron's on the audible. Thank you. I I, uh, I I appreciate it. The feedback. That was the first time, not only the first time I had read my own book on audible, it's the first time I listened to a book ever. I was driving in and I was like, I asked people, who are two people I should listen to? Because I'm completely overwhelmed by this. And then they said, uh, listen to Matthew McConaughey and, and Brene Brown. And so I, I, I did it. And then I loved it. And then I was annoyed. And I want, and I remember Sarah, my wife, Sarah, I was like, I said, I want to do it again. It could be better. And they're like, we're going to record the whole book again. And they're like, no, we can't do that. I was like, damn. Now I want to write another book so I can get that right. <laughs> but thank you for the feedback. And Ron, said that, Ron said I was an amazing narrator. And, and that means a lot to me. So thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, everybody else there. Please check out the book. Matt, I'm going to let you go. I will catch up with you uh, a little bit later with my list of 30 more guests I'd love to have on the podcast. Yes, please. I'm I happy to help. I'm at, I like what you're building. And lastly, on you, you have a really big heart and, you, and you're a champion for other people. You you tend to dismiss that as if it's not a core skill. The fact that you took the time to read my book, you were one of the first people to give me objective feedback and tell me that the book did what I wanted the book to do and I was desperate for the feedback. So you have an impact on people's lives in a way that you discount because of your humility. But like, there are not a lot of people who are wired to want to celebrate others and want to unlock others. So you need to meditate a little bit on that 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 is like an amazing skill and gift you have and your feedback on the book lifted me up at a time when i needed it so thank you and and likewise and i and i deeply value our relationship and i'm going to come into the city soon because i need some Wait, did that. we give the books away 
Where am I supposed to give the? Uh, well, I'm going I'm to give them away in the comments. Okay, here. Okay, I, 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 I wrote them. Look, I wrote down who I'm going to give them to right okay, there. Good. All right. Excellent. Okay. Awesome. And nice. everyone, thank you so much, guys. Thanks, this guys, is the podcast. Check it out at thepodcast.com. Matt, I will catch up with you soon. And everyone out there, thank you for your time and have a great day. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>